Welcome to my Japanese Green Tea Podcast, a show dedicated to Japanese tea. Hosted by tea blogger Ricardo Caicedo. Welcome to episode 54 of my Japanese Green Tea Podcast. Our guest today is David Lavecchia. The co founder of Tezumi, which is an online Japanese tea store. Hi, David. Welcome to the show. Hi, Ricardo. Thanks for having me on. Can you tell us about all the co founders and how you started this company? Yeah. So there are three of us there's me, David, my brother, Michael, and our friend, Ryan. Tezumi started about four years ago now、uh, when I was in college, and my brother and I had this idea. Wanting to start selling Japanese teapots at first. It was Kyusu. And I sort of had that idea because I was in college and I was struggling to find affordable, quality Japanese Kyusu because I wanted to make tea、um, in my dorm. And I wanted to sort of make it easier for people to get their hands on good quality teaware. So that's how Tezumi started. And not long after,、um, we got Ryan on board. From there, we just started getting more and more teaware and eventually decided. We want to sell tea. It's something that we're all passionate about. And there was no company existing that really hit the niche that I wanted in the online Japanese tea space. So that's what we wanted to fill. And how did you and your brother get into tea in the first place? So, I mean, we are from an English family culturally. So tea has been like everyday life thing, you know, English style black tea with, with milk. And we both sort of got into Japanese tea separately around the same time. I was in college and I was、um, getting into like loose leaf tea, generally speaking, gongfucha, Chinese teas. And then I discovered Japanese teas and really started liking those. At the same time, I was getting into Japanese culture and I was taking Japanese language classes. My brother went on a, a fun trip to Japan and took back some tea and liked it as well. So we both sort of developed that. That taste for Japanese tea separately. The other co founder, is he living in Japan? I read somewhere, I'm not sure what one of you is is a practitioner of the tea ceremony.、Uh, that would be me, but I'm, I'm here in the States.、Uh, we're all currently in the US at the moment. For a while,、um, Michael and Ryan were living in Thailand, but that was during the pandemic. We're all back in the States now.、But、yeah, I'm the one who does、um, Chana Yu tea ceremony. What's cool of the tea ceremony? It's the、uh, Ueda Sokoryu, which is one of the smaller, like, warrior class schools. You had、uh, Tia Sosen of the Tea Crane on in an earlier episode, and he does Enshuryu, which is another of the warrior class schools. We're kind of closely related schools. Okay, nice. I've never heard of that, of that one, but. Yeah, it's one of the smaller ones. It's from, like, Hiroshima, which is where the, the base, home base of the school is and where the grandmaster lives. So then you became interested in Japanese tea, and then you, you started the store first with teaware and then with tea. Yep. I also like that, that you offer Japanese tea coasters. Those are really hard to find. I've tried to buy them before. There weren't many available until I saw your site. Yeah, I, I really enjoy them as part of like, just my everyday tea making. Um, but yeah, there's not that many places, especially that cater to the Western market that sell these chataku, especially the,、um, the metal ones. I love the little, little metal ones that they use in, in Senchado and stuff. 
a lot of the ones that we have are vintage ones and maybe we'll get some some new ones into yeah i've also seen the the metal ones in in Senchal. for the listeners this is a tea ceremony but just for sencha it's not for matcha this ceremony is also not, not as popular so i've seen videos about it i've heard about it but i've never actually seen it and i don't think that there are schools in the u.s for essential unless one um, already came up. there is he's not based in the u.s he's he's the the son of one of the grandmasters in japan speaks english and is now offering online lessons in senchado i haven't taken any maybe someday but that's something that's really exciting because as you said senchado is one of the it's much less popular than sado or chanoyu the the matcha tea ceremony and it's really hard to find a lot of information about it so it's cool that that's getting some more traction here yeah i don't know why it hasn't become much more popular but since everyone is drinking a lot of loose leaf tea now i guess that it would be something that people would wouldn't find so difficult i'm not sure how to explain it but if, if some people already learning how to do you know the gong fucha and all this and they already know about the japanese tea ceremony which is done with matcha it wouldn't be so much of a stretch to say oh there's also the senchado and maybe i, I can try how it's done yeah definitely but, but it's, it's it's taken a lot of time mm-hmm. yes i think it's just because it, it's smaller has less of a cultural like foothold in japan as well I mean, it makes sense that it would be get popular soon, I think, because it's a lot more casual and relaxed. Um, and yeah, it's like Gong Fu Chai. It came over from China originally at the same time, like the original Gong Fu Chai was being developed and then brought over to Japan. Yeah, it's just a lot more relaxed and, and casual than Sado or Chanoyu, which I think will help make it a little more popular. Okay, so you said you, you had this special niche in mind what is the idea behind it? It's a lot of um, well, single origin, single cultivar stuff, but with the transparency that goes along with it. So on all of our teas, or at least most of them on the back, we have like the the producer, the harvesting date, the cultivars, the location of the farm, the elevation. You don't get in a lot of the older style of Japanese tea, the more traditional style of of blended centers and matchas, where you get a you get a poetic name. And then not much more information about the tea itself. And that's a perfectly acceptable and really good style of tea. But there's the sort of modern movement towards single origin, single cultivar, which I find really interesting. And I think especially in America, people are finding really interesting because it goes along with the sort of third wave coffee movement and just that push towards learning more about where your your food, drinks and products in general come from. Yeah, I think it, it also goes well with the wine market so in wine you want to know about uh, when was it made like in what geographical location what was the type of the grape you know so it's it's kind of similar yeah it's exactly like that because with the classical style of japanese tea production you're sort of trusting a manufacturer you know the the finishing company the shiage people doing the blending and and the naming you're just trusting that they know what they're doing and produce quality tea which they usually do but the added transparency lets the consumer learn more about the tea which i think is just more fun and could you tell us about the interesting teas that, that you offer like which ones are your favorites or which one sells the best 
That's, that's a good question. Whatever sells the best changes from time to time. Uh, as far as the matchas go, it's probably Uji Hikari, which is a really popular like cultivar for matcha, especially outside of Japan. In Japan, it's like usually blended away with other other cultivars, but that's got a a strong name recognition outside of Japan, and for good reason. It's a it's a really good tea. As far as like the unique teas that we have, we're trying to like bring a lot of the variety that Japanese tea has to offer to the Western market. That you know, there's more to Japanese tea than just matcha and sencha. So we've got some oolong, some wakocha black teas, uh, Japanese white tea, which is quite rare, kamaericha, which is a personal favorite of mine, um, along with some some other single cultivar stuff that you don't see as much. Like caution is a really popular cultivar in Japan and makes one of my favorite senchas. We also try and have a lot more zairai, the seed-grown teas, because I think that's a really important and interesting you know agricultural product you don't see much seed grown tea in japan anymore and it's quite unique and quite tasty for matcha do you have like a personal preference and does that have to do with the warrior school or is just anyone can drink whatever he wants because i've seen sometimes that some schools recommend their own tea brand uh yeah so that's a, a practice called konomi where the the grandmaster or some other of the higher ups in the school will sort of sign their name off on a particular blend of matcha from a producer. And our school does have those. Um, and we, we might stock them at some point. That's a discussion we're having at the moment. Um, they're really nice. Currently, most of our offerings are all single cultivar. So if we want to take that step into the more traditional style of blended matcha, that's something that we want to do. Because I also think that's really interesting. Yeah, I think... I don't know how to explain it, but if you don't know nothing about tea in general and you only taste blends, it's really hard to really learn anything because you don't know what it's made of. So then it's hard to evaluate. It's easier that, if someone told you this is, I don't know, Yabukita, which is the most common, then try this one. Uh, this one is special for matcha. And then maybe when, when there's a blend, you can sort of, and maybe understand otherwise it's just it's farther away the, the more you blend like it's hard to say okay and this one came from this region and from this cultivar and this one you know and maybe they're not the same uh, percentage each so maybe one dominates it's harder in my opinion when you just do blends yeah definitely single origin lets you learn more about what's going on uh, that's not to say that blends aren't good. They can be some very good blended matcha, but it's a it's a skill and that it just adds another step between you and and the plant. So I mean, for one of the blended matchas that our grandmaster for our school likes, I think this year's has fifteen different individual tencha, uh, the un unground matcha that goes into the blend, which is a lot, and yeah. <laughs> and that's something that the producer has to manage each year to keep that taste consistent, which is an amazing skill, but that is a different style than the more sort of direct expression of the plant that is of single origin. Um, and they're both perfectly valid ways to drink tea, I think, um, but they're just different styles. And I think it's more educational, more fun to learn with a single cultivar, as you said, because you can just get a better idea of what's going on before you want to try some more blended teas and see, oh, that's what they're doing with this cultivar and that's what they're doing with these flavors. When you make a blend, I mean, the, the people that are making it, 
the the one in charge really has to be some kind of genius because in order to to get exactly what he's looking for it, it requires a great lot of skill but for the normal person that they can barely tell one from another it's it's much harder to understand how good the blend is if you don't know what what's it made of no that's that's definitely true i think March has got a, a kind of a steep learning curve, like learning how to judge it and taste it compared to Sencha, I think, just because like one, it all looks the same. You know, with with Sencha, you can see these leaves look different and these are more intact, these are broken. But with Matcha, it all kind of looks the same, except for just like, you know, slight differences in color. And I think yeah. it's, it's definitely a steeper learning curve to sort of taste the, the quality. But I mean, if you're doing it side by side, sometimes it's really quite obvious when you have something that's well-made, you know, grown under good shading with with good plants and ground properly with a stone mill versus something that's a little more commercial you know having those side by side can be quite eye-opening for people who haven't had that comparison before do you sell to different countries or is it just for the u.s i know we definitely have a lot of international customers the bulk are still in the u.s because that's where we're located shipping's faster for the u.s but we have buyers from all over the world you know europe south america asia especially tea ceremony practitioners charge in buying, you know, chawan and other tea ceremony utensils um, and collectors like that, which is always fun. So you have the inventory in the U.S.? Uh, yes, most of our inventory is in the U.S. We have some in Thailand as well, but the bulk of it's here in the U.S. Okay, good. So you still have a presence in, in Thailand? Uh, yeah, so that's where... Um, Michael and Ryan were kind of trapped during during the COVID pandemic. Um, so they set up a little operations base there in Thailand while I was carrying some stuff out over here. And when they left, we decided to keep doing it over there as well. So we have a, a team there as well. Do they drink a lot of tea in, in Thailand? Yeah, there's, I mean, Thailand's got, um, I mean, it produces tea as well. Of course, there's, there's Thai tea and there's a lot of um, oolongs made in Thailand. But there's quite a, decent cultural connection between Thailand and Japan. And you're seeing more, uh, you know, Japanese tea shops popping up throughout Bangkok. Well, I had no idea. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't personally have much experience. That's something that I have to ask Michael and Ryan about because I lived there for a while. And you, you mentioned that, that you have uh, Japanese oolongs. Can you tell me about those? I, I reviewed one, by the way, and, and it was very nice. Uh, yeah, thank uh, you for that. It's... Um, Kochum Bihakocha. Yeah. So that's Japan's quite interesting with how they label teas because they, they do bihakocha and oolong and kind of separate those two into different categories, even though most people would say they're, they're both oolongs and I'd say they're both oolongs. But bihakocha, which means like micro fermented or partially oxidized, is made in the style of like Taiwanese baojong oolongs, that sort of lighter oxidation. And then there's what they call oolong, which is much. Um, much more oxidized. They're definitely a more recent development because we had, you know, green tea has been the staple. Japanese black tea had a moment in the 1900s and kind of come back again. But oolongs are definitely a more a more recent development, and it's really fun to see, you know, farmers experimenting with different production. And personally, what do you drink the most? Matcha and sencha, easily. Um, I go through a lot of matcha just personally, but also in my practices for, for tea ceremony and definitely a lot of sencha, 
my preferred style of center is usually like the the mountainous areas of Shizuoka, Honyama, Tenryu, that sort of stuff. So um, one of our, our staple teas, uh, Matsuba, is a Yabakita from Honyama, which is one I probably drink the most of. Yeah, it's very popular, the Honyama region in, in Shizuoka prefecture. Yeah, we and were just... regarding matcha, do you mm. always drink it as a ceremony or do you also drink it casually? Uh, I definitely do both. Um, I, I don't always have time to put on the, you know, cast iron furo in the tea room. So I do a lot of casual matcha as well, but um, uh, also a lot of casual koicha. So I go through quite a bit of matcha. Yeah, it, it takes more more amount of matcha to make the koicha. Yeah, I usually use twice as much, like four grams of matcha, roughly. And it has to be a very good matcha, otherwise the taste is is too bitter. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think everyone's got a different, you know, bar for what matcha they can take as koicha. Um, I think the more experienced you are, the more you don't mind using, you know, slightly lower quality teas and just having the bitterness. But definitely, if I'm going to give someone koicha for the first time, I'm going to use a good, good matcha. Yeah. And regarding the, the teaware, so you sell matcha bowls that are collector's items. Those are very expensive, right? Are those like for for the Japanese tea ceremony only? I mean, anyone can can use anything. But yeah, those are generally for people who either, you know, collect tea bowls or use them in tea ceremony practice. But we have like a whole range of chawan from the less expensive um, everyday use for anyone to start getting into matcha and some really unique and expensive uh, vintage and antique ones. It's, I mean, Japanese ceramics is kind of like tea. It's a learning curve. You know, you see the price on a tea bowl and go, wow, that's expensive. Why is that? And so you sort of have to get into it as well and learn about the different regions and different styles and all that stuff to really appreciate it. What is your favorite type of of matcha I, I I change every now and then. Currently, it's a kohiki chawan. So kohiki is a style of glazing. Well, basically, you, you take a clay bowl and dip it in white slip, which is like liquid clay made from porcelain. So it's it looks white as if it were porcelain, but it's sort of impure. It's got this imperfection to it. It's porous. And this was a style that came to Japan from Korea in like the 1500s, where they were trying to imitate white porcelain but for the commoners who couldn't afford it. And I think it has a really like lovely personality. It's just a soft white that as you use it over time, it'll stain and develop a character that is, you know, personal to you in your bowl. Yeah. So I do collect, well, I'm, I'm not a big collector, but I do have different bowls and mostly I have pickups, but, but for Sencha, you know, the, mm -hmm. the little Chawans, like 60 milliliters. Yeah. Yeah. And and some Kyusu teapots, but but for the teabos, I find it gets really really expensive, and maybe I'm not that much of a collector <laughs> for for those items. But but it is definitely very it's very entertaining, and I think that it's not about just the taste of tea, but also the beauty of your teaware. It also gives me pleasure, like drinking from a very beautiful teacup is is not the same as. I don't know, just putting it on a paper cup and drinking it. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's all about you know adding to the experience. And I think there's also part of it is that well-made teaware can just make making tea easier. You know, using a, a good kyusu 
is easier than using, uh, I don't know, some like little infuser ball or a cheaper poorly made teapot. And the same goes with tea balls as well. There's like a well-made tea ball should feel good in the hand, be easy to hold, balance nicely and be easy to whisk in to an extent. But yeah, there's also the aesthetic side um, and especially with tea balls because of its association with tea ceremony, there's a lot of uh, aesthetic philosophies that come into play like with Raku Chawan, you have Rikyu and Wabi. With Oribe Chawan, you have Furita Oribe and Hyoge. Um, these are all these like really interesting aesthetic philosophies that are expressed in the genre of, of tea bowls and ceramics, which is a, a whole world, there's a whole rabbit hole you can dive into. Yeah, when, once you start getting into those types of ceramics and their history, it's also it's more on the artistic side. You know, it's not just mm -hmm. what does this tea taste like, but oh, this is the style of of Oribe, so it, it looks really weird and modern. Yeah, yeah. That, that's interesting as well. Yeah, definitely. There's that's one of the interesting things about tea is that it's sort of connected to all these different cultural things. You know, you get into tea for the drink, and you end up thinking about you know, ceramic philosophies, or especially if you do like tea ceremony, you know, paintings and calligraphy and incense. And it's this whole world centered around tea. Yeah, I recently started to get into incense. I don't really know much about it, but somehow it's related, I guess. Yeah, it's it's funny because it just it just is it's related somehow. Um, I find like tea people I meet also like incense and we are going to launch a line of incense hopefully very soon. The incense just arrived at the inventory literally two days ago. So, oh yeah, that would be very nice. Yeah. Um, I mean, tea ceremony and incense ceremony corridor have like a, a lot of shared history. A lot of tea ceremony stuff is borrowed from the incense ceremony. Um, and of course you use incense in the tea room, um, to setting the ambience. So there's, there's definitely like a tangible connection there, but I think part of the sort of more modern connection is that people who like tea are really sort of interested in things that are nice to the senses, things that smell nice, tea smells nice and things that taste nice. And I think it's not that much of a leap to go to incense, which is, you know, another sort of sensory thing. Do you light an in incense when you're drinking or is it just something that's outside of the experience, but but it's still connected. Um, I, I like combining it. It's, it's a balance though. You don't like have the incense overpower the aroma of the tea. Um, so like lighting incense in the room beforehand, letting it dissipate a bit and then, and then drinking tea can be nice because you're sort of setting a, an ambience. Otherwise they can clash a bit too much. If you have like, you know, a stick burning next to you while you have some tea right in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. It wouldn't let you smell the tea. Exactly. Correct. Yeah. Tea ceremony, there's a little piece of incense that's placed in the, the charcoal fire or if using electric element in there before the guests enter the room. So just so that it, you know, creates a, a gentle ambience in the room. I, I hadn't noticed that, but I do remember like every time you go somewhere in Japan, like there's this, this aroma. And even though I lived there, I hadn't realized that it was incense. Yeah, it's something that can just... Just think just... that may, maybe the house sm smells like that, or maybe the tummy <laughs> mat smells like mm -hmm. that. But then I finally realized, oh, it's, it's been incense all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's good. They're just sort of setting that, that sort of that background mood and ambience. So thank you, David. It's been very 
interesting hearing about Tesumi. I hope that you have much success with, with all your future plans with the store. And say hi to Michael and Ryan, and we'll keep in touch. All right. Well, thank you for having me on. Okay. Thank you, David. Goodbye. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to my Japanese green tea podcast. Join us again next time 